This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all of our listeners, supporters, and sponsors that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states and over 70 countries around the world and all provinces of Canada. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web from thousands in that category and it's ranked by traffic, social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit the podcast website. It's a wrapwithwrap.com for all the episodes and other information regarding the podcast and to order logo merchandise of which a portion of sales is donated to various charities and to sign up for our emails. Now, this podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Timothy West. Timothy is from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. He is legally blind from a condition called Stevens-Johnson syndrome that affected him at four years of age, caused by a high allergic reaction to medication. Tim also suffers from chronic pain, mental health issues, PTSD, from multiple forms of abuse and trauma. Tim stands tall. He is a disability and mental health advocate who fights as best he can for those who feel they can't. Welcome, Tim, to the podcast. 
I'm so glad to have you on my brother in arms. What's going on, buddy? What's going on? Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Hey, let's start at the beginning, Tim. Tell us best you can uh, what you remember life was like uh, for you before the unfortunate occurrence of Stevens Johnson syndrome. Yeah, weirdly enough, I have a pretty good recollection of most of what happened, other than some of the fuzziness when I got was really highly medicated and I was in really bad shape. But uh, yeah, I was just, I was four years old. I was just a kid who, you know, we lived in like a little condo. My mom and dad at the time were still together, but they were kind of on the brink of falling apart. So there was a lot of anger and, you know, alcohol in the house. But overall, they did a pretty good job of kind of keeping it from me, even though I picked up on some things. Again, I was really, that's why there's a lot of ironies in the whole thing, because I was really big into cars. I was into Hot Wheels, but I, I was... I knew like every car based on its like shape and emblem. And, and and I was just so into cars, not knowing, you know, in, in time, I'm not going to ever be able to drive. Um, but yeah, I was a very happy kid. I loved animals, which I still do. Um, but I was very cheerful, just very loving and, and just smiling all the time. Just a very fun loving kid. Yeah. Did not really know what was coming. So can you tell us what Stevens Johnson syndrome and toxic, epidural epidermal necrosis uh does to the body and specifically what it did to yours and what condition and medications touched it off in your case yeah like sjs used to be more rare than it than it is now i mean it's still not widely known but it's it's more known than it's ever been um because there's like i've told you the other night more celebrities have gotten it and just it's just more and more people have gotten it yeah, for me, SJS, Stephen Johnson syndrome, I guess I could tell you my story and then kind of explain it all. But like, so I, I went in, I had a really bad ear infection. They took me to the emergency room and I was just in really bad shape. And, and you know, I, I believe there was a chance that I could lose my hearing, which did not happen. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and I, I am one of those cases where you hear the typical, like the antic of like, oh, I go, I went in for one thing and came out with another. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of what happened. Um, they, they gave me amoxicillin. And again, SJS is a high allergic reaction to medication. It doesn't matter what medication, if you're allergic to it, it happens. In my case, it was amoxicillin and vancomycin, but it could be anything like there, there is times where I've taken medication that I've, I've heard like when I was taking like certain antidepressants like Paxil. Uh, I know someone who had SGS because of Paxil. Uh, it, it just, it's all about how like a high intake of what you're taking. Um, it, it's not like if you have a headache and you're allergic to Tylenol, you pop one pill, all of a sudden here comes SGS. No, you would have to take a lot of it for a good period of time. Um, now, as far as amoxicillin, which is a very widely known popular medication that people take, and but there's a lot of people allergic to it, unfortunately. Um, in this case, the doctors didn't really do any research and just know in my medical history or uh, family history. I most people in my family are allergic to it. Um, and so as soon as I started taking it, I started seeing like blisters and uh, which eventually led to skin peeling off, hair falling out, teeth falling out, nails falling out. Okay, off, so, so let me let me yeah. stop you for a second because I want our audience sure. to get the picture. Are you saying that right after you took one or two doses, it started to kick in the Stephen Johnson syndrome? Now, this is where it's fuzzy. I don't know how. It, it was within a week, like less than a week, within like okay. four to okay. five days. Okay. But I mean, it, it gradually started to happen, but it like right. eventually started with like rashes 
um, and then like blisters and things. And and obviously, like I said, yeah, it, it, it slowly started to happen, but then it picked up pretty quickly because again, I was continuously taking these med- medication for the ear infection, not knowing right. that it was going to cause more. And again, the ear infection started to get better, but then I ended up going back to the emergency room for, for these issues and they gave me vancomycin, which then I ended up being allergic to that as well. And and then it just the process just started speeding up more because now it's just my body's just on fire. And they're not really this place. We did sue them. Uh, of course, we lost. But um, the, the, the care they gave me was pretty hard. And, and they didn't really take any time to really kind of figure out where I was and what I was going through. So I had to, and this is kind of, so I, I probably should stop here because it's going to kind of go into the next part. But, but yeah, SJS is again, high allergic reaction to medication. And um, it's something that has, has killed a lot of people and has scarred, severely scarred a lot of people. And in my case, um, oh, and, and it does major damage to your cornea, which is what is really the only side effect I have. I have sensitive skin, but I, and some like brown spots on my body, just like little spots, almost looks like, like pimples type of thing. But they're just, they're just, there's nothing there. You can't, there's no texture to them. Um, it's just whatever. It, it's almost like a birthmark type of thing. But yeah, it, it it does a lot of damage, especially if you don't get to it fast enough. And as I told you last night, they there's ways now they can spot it pretty quickly and, and kind of take care of it. You can kind of get the beginning process out where you start maybe getting little blisters, maybe a little bit of skin peeling. But overall, once they get you the proper antibiotics and medication to take care of it, it, it goes away pretty quickly. Tell us about uh, about your eyesight, though. <clears throat> yeah, that again. This is some of that is foggy, but um, I mean, no pun intended, I guess. But yeah. like, yeah, yeah um, I don't know how long that took to happen, but it, I mean, I was in the hospital four and a half months, and it had happened before I left the hospital. So I would, I would imagine it probably happened within the first couple weeks to a month of me being in the hospital. Um, there was a lot of major surgeries that was trying to to save my vision. Um, and, and just the beginning of the hospital, like, so I had to kind of, I have to kind of skip a little bit or go back a little bit to tell you that like, I had to be lifelighted to another hospital um, wow. because I lived in Waynesport at the time. And, but they don't have a burn center, which is where like burn victims go and they don't have one here. So I, they had to try to figure out one on the fly because I was in really bad shape. I was not, a lot of people didn't consider me was going to live, but they had to figure it out because I had no skin and I'm just laying there just out of it. And so they had to helicopter flight me and it was between three options. It was John Hopkins in Baltimore, uh, someplace in Wilmington, Delaware and St. Christopher's in Philadelphia, which is where I landed, uh, which was technically the closest place. Uh, And they do have a burn center and they had to put me in this place where you're just sitting on, I mean, almost like your typical hospital bed. Yeah, basically a typical hospital bed. It's kind of dark in there and um, like dimly lit lights, at least is what I recall. And they lather you up with bacitracin, which for most people who don't know what it is, it's it's, it's like a higher potency of like neosporin. Mm-hmm. And they lather it up all over your body. Now you have to you have to remember, I have no skin. So all this is like excruciating pain. There's nothing, every touch is beyond sensitive. It's like if you took your nails off and you just started touching that area, like it, it's even strong, you know, more sensitive than that. Like any area that is not covered by something on your body is probably going to be overly sensitive. And this right. is to the, to the max. And so what they do is they lather you up with this ointment and they, pre- they wrap you up like a mummy uh, with bandages 
And, and, and in my case, I had no skin anywhere on my body. So I had to be completely lathered up. up. Um, and so the skin, I believe, went, I'm not sure which in order with my skin or my eyes. It might have been coinciding together. I'm not honestly totally sure because this is where I was very highly medicated. Um, even like the helicopter ride, I remember like seeing lights and propellers and then passing out then waking up kind of as we're like, as I'm on like the, you know, the, the hospital gurney and just kind of slowly kind of going into the hospital and seeing the propellers as I'm like kind of being strolled away. But then I passed out again, I was just off and on. And I do kind of remember visions of just being bandaged and wrapped up and then taking them off and just being in like horrific pain. Um, but as far as, yeah, the eyes, um, did you want to know like the pro like what they're like now or, or, well, I mean, I mean, what, how did, how did that start? It, was it, uh, what, were they sealing shut that type of thing or no, there wasn't, it was just major damage, major scar tissue. Okay. And there was a lot of procedures, even procedures later after I'm still looking to get a major procedure in Kentucky, but there's a, there was procedures where they took cells from my mom's eye um because we're the same blood type and there's just like stem cells which is actually kind of the same procedure i'm trying to get done in kentucky but it's going to be done in the clinic that does it properly but then um yeah there was a procedure where they took cells from a dead person's eye uh, a lot of these things just didn't take um it's just there was a, just a lot of scarring over so a lot uh, of transplanting yeah so just a lot of like there was just a lot of major damage and it was just again this a lot of this was new this is 31 years ago and so right. technology and medicine wasn't the same. So it, it's, and, and they even misdiagnosed me. I think, as I told you last night, they mix, misdiagnosed me. They thought I had chicken pox at first. That's one of the real reasons why we sued is because they just kept misdiagnosing me with all these different things. And so much time had passed. And then I just kept getting worse and worse under in their care to the point where I had to be life lighted. There was no other option because no one, and I don't even know, I don't think they really figured out what I had until I got to Philadelphia and I was in a much better hospital. And then my mom had also met someone who had, who kind of started the foundation for SJS. And so it was a lot that went into it. When did they find, when did they finally figure out it was the antibiotics? Uh, once they kind of figured out it was SJS and they realized I was having, well, I, well, again, they knew I was having an allergic reaction to the moxicillin, but then, yeah. Then they tried to fix it with vancomycin, and it just kept getting worse. I think they probably knew right after the second reaction. Yeah. Um, but at that point, it was just like a lost cause. It was just like, okay, well, we have to, we can't really focus on the allergic reaction. Obviously, get them off these medications, but he may die tonight, or I may die tonight. Um, so get him somewhere where we can try to, again, I had to go through many skin grafts and all kinds of things. So uh, luckily, all that was salvaged. I mean, most of my body, I mean, pretty much all of my body was pretty salvaged, honestly. It, it, surprisingly how nice it came out. Well, you know, yeah. and I want to just reiterate to our audience that we have a four-year-old boy going through this, right? You're four years old. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yes, 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 so, yes. A four-year-old boy. Absolutely. So, Tim, tell us, how does a, a scared little boy mentally go through this? How did you mentally go through this you know like there's something like I, I i do a lot of advocacy and things and I, I talk about inner strength and all that and i always say there's a lot of qualities in life that like you just can't buy you either have it or you don't 
It's just, it's just there. And I, I always had it. Now, obviously I didn't know that until may, later in life to just kind of, there's every time a moment would arise where I was like backed into a corner, I figured out how to fight through it. Um, right. But like, I didn't, I didn't know what mental health was back then. There's a lot of things I didn't know what it was. I was too young to know. Sure. And so honestly, I, I was the strongest I ever was. I mean, I could debate it, but was then because not just because it was maybe my most traumatic time. Cause I went through a lot of other traumatic things in life with more knowledge and experience in life. So, but like, I was, I was very, very scared of course, but weirdly enough, I had my moments of tears, but the, the really only times I really, really cried other than the beginning stages because of just not knowing the unknown and all that was every time I had to go into the operating room and then my mom would take me, they would let her go with me until we get to the operating doors. And that's why those like those, those like that automatic doors that you go back there Every time I hear a sound that's similar to that, or I hear doors that that sound similar, I freak out or not freak out, but like I get these like chills because that was always just like a paranoia to me because I knew that was where I, was, I wasn't going to see my mom and they're taking me away from her and I'm going into this room. And of course, eventually it would settle down because it would give me like, you know, the, the, the laughing gas, if you will, and, you know, and everything else we eventually would pass out and whatever, but it was scary. But overall, honestly... I was a very happy kid in the hospital. I laughed a lot. Um, I'm the times that I was most frustrated is when they would give me their like crappy food. Uh, I would fight. <laughs> I would just want like the ice cream or the popsicles. They had like these cherry popsicles that I love, um, but they wouldn't give them to me unless I would eat broccoli or chicken or something. Um, but overall, like, yeah, I would play with my toys. I had this weird thing where I was able to kind of block out the pain and this is what I mean about the inner strength that I didn't know I had. Right. It was like, I, I listened to my music. I had my toys, you know, my stuffed animals. And I was able to just kind of put myself in this like imaginary world where everything was okay. And I got through it. Cause I also remember having a neighbor, a roommate who ended up dying, but we became good friends and we were both in just horrible shape, but we were laughing and kind of playing with each other across the room and I was I was just in a good I was just in a good headspace somehow. And I don't know how. I mean, there was a lot of times, don't get me wrong, I was a lot of ow and and you know, this hurts and you know, but there was many moments of just I don't know. I just kept pushing through it and, and my mom and my family was very supportive and it just it, I, I wasn't as scared and, and sad as you would think I would be. I I'm I'm more of a wreck now as an adult. <laughs> so <laughs> it, you know, it's almost like when I've interviewed people that have gone through uh, traumatic experiences or abuse and that kind of thing. And you ask them, how do they get through it? And they said, kind of like a diversion, you know, they put themselves in another, in another space. And that's, that's what this sounds like. Yeah. I just had a really big imagination, which also helps me to this day, but like, I was really big into like Ninja Turtles and I, and people would bring me all kind of toys. I mean, weird, funny stories. Like when I left St. Christopher's Hospital. We went through the gift shop one more time just to try to buy me. They, they wanted to buy me something. I had everything in the gift shop. I had every cup, every stuffed animal, every beanie baby, every little like little koozie and every everything in there I had just about. Wow. And it was just because that's how many gifts people just kept bringing me. And yeah, I just I was able to just kind of like hide the pain through just my toys and things and just because people would buy me all these cool ninja turtles and stuff and i just was i just loved that and even like when i had to go through like physical therapy they would let me bring my toys and they would just play along with me and i it's not that i didn't know where i was i just was trying to just be happy you know because i had to rehabilitate my whole body eventually
How long did it take uh, for that for your skin to grow back? That I'm not sure. I, I'm I know it was less than halfway through it because it, it it happened pretty. That was other than some skin grafts and and then all that the procedures with the with the ointment and everything. All that like. I would say no more than the first month. A lot of it was just, there was a lot of internal damage, obviously the eyes. Uh, there was just a lot of things like, I mean, I had to teach myself how to walk all over again because I just hadn't moved my legs. I was just in the bed for so long, for four and a half months. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of movement. Yeah, atrophy, um, atrophy probably set in. Right. And so I wasn't bathing myself and all they were taking care of me. But yeah, I believe the skin came back. Let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice a supporter of the podcast, is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family, and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured, your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. With probably within the first month, month and a half. Okay. Uh, I think I might have been one of the first things that actually did start to come back. Did your nails? Did you? Lose yeah, your all nails? that kind of the body lost. just started to heal within that. So you within the first here. month or two, yeah. Yeah. Tell us how this affected your growing up years, your, you know, your school years, your friendships, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it took a while because I was a really just distraught kid. After that, like, that's when I, I had to go. I started going outside and the, the sensitivity to the light was scaring me. And I started walking into things. I don't see if I have a hat around here. Okay. So if I had a hat... I would wear it and I would wear it like over my face like this because the light was so sensitive at the time and I would just run into things because I couldn't see where I was going because really I'm covering my, my left side right here is my bad eye, but because it's so far over, it's now blocking the view of my right eye. Yeah. And um, eventually like my, you know, my mom had to start working again and she, we, she ended up getting, you know, getting with a guy who became my sister's father, who was a security guard at the hospital. So then we end up staying in Philadelphia. So it's a much bigger town. I mean, there's almost 2 million people in this town. There's about 30,000. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I live there, rough city and, and so on, but it, it, a lot of culture and so on. And, and um, yeah, it, it, there was a point where my mom would leave me with people who would like babysit me. And there was a lot of people turned me down because they felt so bad for me because I was still in really rough shape, somewhat physically. There was times where I was still on feeding tubes because I wouldn't eat. Uh, but then even when I grew out of those and, and they eventually took all those out, I I would just I'd be so I, I, just, I don't know what it was, but I was just in this phase where I was just scared of everything. 
And every time they would put me in places, there was a lot of times. I remember one vivid memory of being in this person's house and I believe I was in their basement. It was somewhat cold, but I, because I was so afraid to ask for a blanket, I just sat there and shivered, but like I had my face like buried in the cushions of the bottom of the, well, not the bottom, but you know, in the, where you would sit on the couch and eventually the parents came over and they just covered me up and I just sat there shivered. And I think I just teared up at some point throughout like times going there. I did start to open up and play with the kids toys and play with the kids a little bit. Um, but it took a while and, and, and so many people didn't even want to get near me because it just, they were, they just were horrified. They felt so sorry for me. Um, but as far as that translating into school, I, I, am really a worst case scenario in a lot of ways because my beginning years of my schooling, I was molested by a nurse. I was bullied by kids where they threw stuff, spit on me, beat me up. Are you kidding? Really? Because, oh, no, of, I'm because, serious, because of your condition? Well, there was other, I was around a lot of, I went to a school that had other visually impaired kids. So it wasn't even that. It was just, I was just a weakling. I wasn't a fight. I mean, I was a fighter in the sense of fighting for my life and all that, but I wasn't, I was such a just weakling, just nerdy kid. And as far as the molestation, I don't, I, you know, who knows why that stuff happens, but as far as the, uh, the bullying, yeah, there's just kids, you know, every kid just doesn't want to be the bottom of the barrel kid. They want, they see somebody who's weaker than them. They're just going to pick on them. Um, but the part that I think was the most traumatic is I had adults that would pick on me because I had one adult in particular who wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. And so I would, you know, go on myself and it would make me just sit in my feces just every day or, or, you know, the days that would happen. Of course, that became a big thing with my mom and big thing with the school, but it happened multiple times. And like I said, really worst case scenario in a lot of ways, I was really mistreated poorly by a lot of people. I mean, there was, I mean, because like I told you about the hat thing, even when I started to, to wear it a little higher, my eyes were so sensitive to the light more than they even are to this day. There were people would always come up to me because, oh, well, you're not supposed to wear a hat in school. And they would just come up and take it off of me. Like adults, teachers, principals would just rip the hat off of me. And now I'm just like blinded and now I'm crying. And it's, it's just, it was, there was a lot of horrific times, unfortunately, where I, I you know, I, I'm very open about these things. But, yeah. you know, when you open these wounds, like the first time I had to do it, yeah, it was really hard because, you know, I mean, even that when I just said about people ripping my hat off, I haven't talked about that too much and it just kind of came in my head and I just picturing it. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, it, it's one of those things where I had to really try to build my relationship with people again, because my mom always told me about adults, you know, listen to the adult. Well, adults molested me, adults abused me, adults picked on me. And it, it was a time where I'm like, wow, maybe maybe adults are all awful. Yeah. Uh, which isn't the case. What what age was all this pretty much happening between what ages? Uh, so we're talking the molestation was preschool, kindergarten, yeah, preschool, preschool. So six, seven, and the the bullying, a lot of that was kindergarten, first grade. That you know, you're talking about maybe eight, nine, seven, eight, nine in that area. Um, and because, and there was just even, there was even a weird thing where like, like the school system kind of forgot about me that I went to first grade and they're like, no, you got to do it again. And it wasn't because I failed. Cause like who, who fails first grade? Right. They just kind of were like, ah, he just, oh yeah, he, he was, he was a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well make him just, just have him do it again. So I had to like do first grade again. So that put me behind a year. Um, there was just a lot of them because of my health stuff like that that took a year off of my schooling so i was always literally like two years behind everybody so like when i was graduating like eighth grade where you're probably supposed to be what 13 i think i was like 15 
and it wasn't any due to my fault or you know my intelligence yeah. it's just the school system screwed up and then my health just went haywire so and what when, when did all this uh bullying stop um i had a decent second grade through on like i because i wasn't i really wasn't dumb but i also one of the things that helped is my family like bought me nice shoes and things uh-huh. And there are some things that stick out. Like if you could, because I remember being one time just being in school and I was just, kids were picking on me because I'd wear really short shorts and I, cause I didn't care about my appearance. I mean, honestly, to be really transparent with you, there was, I, I, there was times where I didn't even stop. Like I didn't even wipe myself until I was like 12, like do it on my own because I was just so shocked and just destroyed. Like I was just destroyed inside. I really, you know, I just wasn't, a, I didn't recover. And I never had time to recover. Life just kept going. And so, you know, I got, I got a lot of harsh reality, unfortunately. I'm sorry. What was your original question? I apologize. I was going to say, uh, you know, when, when when did all this bullying stop? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, it, it was off and on. But for the most part, second grade was all right. I had some good friends. And once I got to like sixth, seventh grade, for sure, a lot of that stopped because I, I was... I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was cool, but I was, I was halfway decent at basketball and I had nice shoes and I had nice clothing. So I kind of fit in that way. I was nerdy enough where I played like Pokemon and things, but like, I wasn't like uncool. I was, you know, it, I kind of was like in the middle ground. So and you're, kinda, fit, you're fitting in more. I'm fitting in a lot more, especially because I had some skills at basketball, but I was still weird and awkward. But because I got comfortable enough with these kids, because you, you kind of this is a time where, you know, you're when you this school was what kindergarten to eighth grade. So once I transferred, because I had to transfer over, I was in visually impaired classes and then I went to non visually impaired class. It was a weird kind of construction of the school. It was just weird construct. But uh, once because I was too intelligent for the visually impaired classes, because they would just basically if you were in fourth grade, you were probably learning third grade work. It was always a year behind at least. And so I got to fifth grade and I was just like acing everything. And I'm like, what is like, I'm, this is easy. So I felt like I was the greatest, but then I had a woman who I eventually had on the podcast and uh, a good friend of mine who was my fourth grade teacher. She always believed in me for some reason. And she just pushed me. And so she got me into these non-visually impaired classes, which I don't know if was the greatest idea at the time, but it was what I needed. It's just, because I was, I shut down immediately. Now I, I wasn't necessarily bullied or anything, but it was just so new and the work was so much harder and more advanced. And so I was always kind of behind. And be, and then I started to bump into some teachers along the way where some of the teachers would tell me that I'm basically no good. And there was a couple, there was at least two that were just letting me know that I'm, what's the point of going to, because seventh grade really is like the important year of where you're going to go in high school because of the test, the SATs and the things you're going to take. And I just had immediately gave up on, my, I gave up on myself because I had teachers that would just say, what, what's the point? You're not going to, you're going to go to OSB, which is this uh, Overbrook School for the Blind, which is a good school for what it is, but it's really a school for like, if you're, you really have no other option and you're visually impaired, if you don't believe in yourself, you're going to go here. And it's known, it's, it's, it's widely known in Philadelphia. Uh, but it's good for what it is. Like it, it gives people a home, and it does give them ways some some construction and the way they can learn some tools and things in their life. But it, I clearly was too intelligent for it. But I didn't believe in it, and I had to have this woman who believed in me because the only reason I got into a good high school is because this woman had pull, 
and she got me into this school. Um, but I fought her every day. I mean, there was, there was a moment where I was, I was outside of my seventh grade. I think it was eighth grade at the time, but oh. we had a lot of similar classes and she, she pulled me out and she's like, I'm just letting you know, you're going to go to Franklin learning center. Uh, it's a really good school. And I, I just, I yelled at her and I told her, no, I'm not going there. I'm a failure. I'm blind. Why would I go there? I'm never going to make it. Like I just repeated things that other people beat into my head. Right. And uh, yeah, I felt like that. And, and I still end up going to that school, which was a great thing for me, but I didn't know it at the time. And, you know, her and I are still friends. So I told her it's the worst is the, was the thing I was most wrong about in life clearly. But yeah, like, so some of the bullying sort of stopped, but in there was little intermittent, like just constant little pecking and little moments where teachers would just didn't uh, believe in me. And, and there was one teacher who, I actually, my sixth grade teacher, I talked to him a little bit later in life, some years back, actually about about a year, a year or two ago. And and he he actually regrets that he didn't really try to take a liking to me more because he was trying to teach everybody equally. He didn't treat me poorly. He just tried to treat me equally, but he didn't know what I was going through at the time. So yeah. he just kind of, he just treated me like, oh, you're just a failure kid. But it wasn't like you're a failure because you're visually impaired or because I think there's any think there's anything wrong with you. I just don't think you want to apply yourself, which I wasn't applying myself, but I was destroyed inside. So my world was like upside down for a long time. And they didn't have any. Uh, did they have any counselors for you to talk to about this or psycho school psychologists or anything like that? Uh, I don't remember if there was or wasn't, uh, to be honest. But I mean. See, one of the things like with the molestation thing, like this school was at one point was so that OSB school I mentioned, they were at one point one school. And then this height, this school that became my middle school slash, you know, fifth or whatever, all, all that from from I was at the one place for like kindergarten to first grade. And then once I got to second grade, they moved to a totally other building and became their own like secular school. So it would what because that at that point that they did the OSB part was just a high school. But at one point they were kindergarten or preschool to 12th grade okay. um and so when they separate so like the molestation happened back in the the old building right and those people were no longer there whatever and i never honestly i pushed that away i never talked about it i didn't i didn't remember it until i was like 20 something i just deleted it because life kept hitting me hard because again then then there was the bullying by the teachers and you know all that and kids and all that, that stuff started to come after so all that, I was more focused on that at the time. That kind of just went away. And then it just, I remember just being, you know, like 25 years old sitting on my steps. And I was like, oh yeah, why was I naked in the nurse's office at, at a school nurse? And why was that woman staring at me? Why was this woman touching me up and down my body? Like it was just, it would just all hit me out of nowhere. Wow. It's like I opened up a door, like a closet that was full that I never really cleaned. And then it just all opened up and just spilled all over me. And I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, there's that. I, I think what just so you know, for lack of a better word, different or bizarre about the story is, you know, most of us, when we go through K through second, third grade, I mean, usually those are pretty good years. Usually, and, yeah. And I'm just sorry that you had to go through something like that at such a young age. Uh, Tim, what were the what were the family dynamics pertaining to your disability? How, how were you treated by the family? Uh, my mom was always great. Um, she was always my biggest supporter. She she stayed every day at the hospital. She lived at the hospital with me for those four and a half months. 
there was a huge ripple in the family once we moved to Philly and, and there was like a whole time. I mean, I don't want to get too into it because my mom gets mad, but she yeah. essentially chose this other guy and of course didn't make my dad happy. And then because he was Hispanic, there was a lot of racist stuff involved that I wasn't I, privy to for a while. But uh, and it, it, it eventually I was put in court and I was before we were going to start. Eventually, the lawyers got together and said, OK, we're just going to put him in a room. And on each side, my mom and dad, and, and you're just going to talk to the lawyers. My mom and dad are not in there. There's no swaying me into what they want. You talk to these two. Okay. And I talked to them and I told them I wanted to live with my mom. Um, now, me and my dad have now made amends. We're never going to be best friends or father and son, but we're we're pretty close. I've had him on the podcast. We had a really good conversation. Honestly, it was one of my more favorite episodes I've done just for me personally. But at the time he was dealing with, I mean, a lot of anger issues and, and mixing it with alcohol. And he never beat me or anything, but he was verbally abusive at times. And that it, it scared me. And my mom, yeah. like I said, my mom was great. My, my grandma was great. Who's still alive. She's 91. But yeah. It, it, and then, you know, I ended up having a sister through um, this newer guy that she met at the hospital and um, and that ended up falling apart. There was a lot of heated arguments and all that. And so there wasn't really any, I never really had many moments where there was just, I felt safe. Um, and again, not that I was really necessarily in danger, but it was always a lot of yelling in the household. I went from my mom and dad to my mom and my sister's dad. And there was always just argument, just arguments all over the place. And um, just no, no like stability. Really, and so then they it, was, broke... it, it wasn't real warm and fuzzy, so to speak. No, but it wasn't the worst. Like I said, I okay. I, I went through worse, so there was no yeah. a lot wasn't really taken out on me. It's just I was privy to it. I was right there, and I was in the midst of it. What What are some of the lingering effects you're you're left with besides you know your your eyesight uh, to this day? Uh there's always something that hurts on me, but really. Like I said, I, I'm not trying to be overly positive just to be overly positive. Like I, I, I'm relatively good for the most part. I mean, I have no mobility issues whatsoever. You know, it is true that your senses do get stronger when one goes down. So the hearing and taste and smell and touch, all that is really strong. You know, obviously mental health has, has been a thing. But again, I've had so many other things happen that it's like I don't know how much the eyes even have to do it. They they do play a part. There's some things in my eyes, you know, when, especially when you have a fluctuating disability, it makes things much harder. Yeah. You know, there, there is an argument to be made and I don't ever really want to have it because it's kind of a slippery slope, but there is an argument to be made that someone like me has it worse than someone who's blind. And I say that because I'm legally blind, but I can see some, and obviously there's joyous in that. And I, and I am very grateful that I can see, and I have friends that are totally blind but there is something to the fact that I I never really know what my vision is going to be. Whereas when you're blind or you're fully deaf or, or whatever, when you don't have a fluctuation, you have a constant and you, you, you're, you just got to be good with that. With me, I, I have good days. And then lately I had a couple bad ones because I have certain things that with my eyes, my lashes curl under, scratch my cornea. And I always have to be aware. I have to be very, um, open to, oh my God, I have to just go and get my eye doctor and let him remove these because if not, I can do more damage. And so it, it's, you know, so they, like I said, I, I don't know how much mental health I have from just that. There's some, but yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a little bit of chronic pain, a little bit here, a little bit of there, but I, I can't complain, honestly. I really, I can't, other than the vision. 
Gotcha. I just want to tell our audience, I did a little uh, research on Stephen Johnson syndrome and some of the medications uh, that can cause this are antibacterial sulfa drugs, which are quite common, anti-epileptic drugs, mm-hmm. allopurinol, which is used for gout, and yeah. uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, things like Aleve or naproxen, that kind of thing. And of course, antibiotics. So just so everybody out there is aware that this can happen uh, with these drugs. Uh, I was going to ask if there's something a physician can do to avoid Stephen Johnson syndrome from occurring in the first place. But I've later found out that there is really nothing they can do. You mean afterwards, like after it's already happened? Well, actually, yeah, or before even. The podcast is so happy and proud to have Blue Sky CBD as one of our sponsors and supporters. At Blue Sky CBD, they know that the highest quality CBD starts from the seed. Blue Sky partners with sustainable, responsible farms for superior hemp plants to extract their CBD and other healthful phytonutrients. Each of Blue Sky's products contain high concentrations of CBD for maximum impact, and Blue Sky offers some of the lowest cost per milligram CBD on the market. All Blue Sky's products are THC-free and are tested by a third-party laboratory for potency and purity. All this has made Blue Sky one of the only brands trusted by healthcare professionals across the United States. As the demand for CBD and its therapeutic potential have grown rapidly worldwide, it's difficult to know which products you can trust. At Blue Sky CBD, they don't just sell their products, they use their products. Blue Sky CBD proudly shares testimonials of their loved ones who use these products. Blue Sky CBD guarantees the potency and purity of each and every product they sell. Blue Sky tests their products three times. First, the plant is tested, next the isolate, and last, the final product to ensure each product batch meets Blue Sky's high standards. A copy of the Certificate of Analysis is linked below each product description online. The Blue Sky CBD website contains client testimonials, including a case study for each testimonial from people just like you regarding people dealing with severe anxiety and insomnia, high blood pressure, pain management, headache, rheumatoid arthritis and spondylitis, and endocrine balance. Blue Sky even makes the product pet love for our canine and feline family members. There is some confusion between medical marijuana, CBDs that contain THC, and the THC-free hemp CBDs within states. Blue Sky CBD uses CBD derived from hemp that is THC-free, which is drug-free and can be sold everywhere legally. Blue Sky CBD wants you to feel confident with your purchase and offers you excellent customer service. If you are not satisfied with their products, you may request a refund of the full purchase price within 30 days of the product received date. When ordering, please use the podcast link to receive 20% off your initial purchase. The link and website information will be listed in the podcast notes. There's just not a whole lot they can do. Yeah, you can you can help prevent it for the most part if you catch it early, but you have to really catch it. Yeah. But yeah, the, if, if it's already taken full effect, there's really not much you can do. Okay, let's talk about your advocacy work. 
and people with disabilities in general, given the audience a perspective, uh, Tim, of what it's like to be disabled. First off, what was the catalyst that ignited you to advocate for the disabled and make yourself vulnerable? Well, I, you know, the, the irony of all this is that I hated motivational, like I hate or not motivational speaking. I, I hated like uh, public speaking whatsoever. I, I remember being in eighth grade and I heard about having to do a senior project, meaning in 12th grade, where I would have to get in front of the class and I would have to talk. I didn't even think about the other grades or any other. This was just for like English class, English four. I didn't think about any other classes where I'd have to present anything. I just knew about this one presentation. I stressed about it for four and a half years. And of course, I had other presentations that did happen before that. But even even once they were done, I was still stressing about this. And of course, I got it after all those years. I got into my it was like one of the last projects of these. I think it might have been the it was the last of the second last project in English four. And I got like a 97 or something. I don't know. And of course, I did really well. And and there was no need to stress about it. But I I stressed and stressed, and but I did a lot of little side things with that same woman I mentioned earlier. Her name's Miss Robbins, Lois Robbins. Um, she she always looked after me and she she knew she wanted to kind of get me. She 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 was she kind of became a I don't know, not a caregiver, but uh she became like an itinerant and she was she was like advocating for people with disabilities. She didn't have any, but she she worked with a lot of us and she would take some of her former students and she would bring them to colleges and she would have us talk a little bit about what is it like our stories? And I didn't go into a lot of in depth. Obviously, I didn't talk about molestation or any of that stuff. I just talk about I related stuff. And so how these uh, college professors can kind of deal with uh, how they can, you know, assimilate and, and, and work with kids who have um, vision problems or blindness. And she also would have another kid who was totally blind. And we would just tell our stories in, in, in small details, really. Yeah. And that went away for a while. And then high school, I graduated and all that. And and just I was just in a really bad place for a long time. And then my mom was selling the house and I'll make this part quick. And I just kind of had to figure out what was I going to do? I didn't want to move in with her new boyfriend. I just moved back to Williamsport because I heard there's a place down there who hires visually impaired and blind people. And I wanted a job. And I just I on a Tuesday, I told I was told that I got the job. I asked my grandma if I could stay with her until the, the apartment goes through. Uh, that same Thursday I moved and I came up here. And so I started, I started working for this place. I ended up staying there for eight and a half years until a couple months ago, I just got fired, but I worked there and I was wondering like, why are all these, why are all the people, what we call sighted people, people with full sight, why are they all so friendly and why are all the visually impaired people miserable? And I kind of figured it out really quickly because it's a nonprofit and I'm not going to mention them by name, but they, mistreated us they they it's kind of like a very segregated thing where you know all the higher paying jobs and all the advocacy and all that stuff comes from them but they kind of use us as like the poster boy the the mascot if you will to to get the profiting mm. and yeah it's great that they give us opportunities because i'm still grateful regardless of that right. and so where where to answer your question I, because i was starting to work on who i was and figure out my and try to get my own like, figure out my own individuality I was getting into a place where I was like, all right, I'm, I'm an okay kid. I don't mind myself. And then I started working there where they were make, basically, there would be me working my ass off and then there'd be a kid who was sleeping and they would basically make us, we, they'd put us all in the same boat because we we had the same problem, if you will. Not even, we didn't even have the same eye condition, but it was like, you, you're blind, you're blind, cool. You're all the same. And I hated that. 
because I, again, going back to even like when I was in college, I would hide. I didn't want the professor to see me. I didn't want him to ever call on me, nothing. But when this was happening, it bugged me to my core. It was just, it was just deep seated in me. And I just like, I can't, this can't go on. I don't like this. And so I started pushing back. I even quit like six months in. They eventually called me back and apologized. But I started to fight for myself and I started to fight for the first time in my life for myself. And then as I got a little comfortable and acclimated to the, to the company, I started to fight for the other people and it just was happening and I didn't know I was doing it. And so then it got to a point where a lot of people really respected me and liked me. Maybe not a lot of the upper management, but a lot of the people in the back that did not just not just the visually impaired, but everybody. And I, because I was also known as a worker. And um, and so that kind of where it stemmed from. And then I was just one day just playing around my phone. And I remember listening to a podcast with and um, the director slash actor, Kevin Smith. He, he had, a, you know, he's known podcaster as well. And he was telling a story about you should always just get into podcasting and just grab your phone, just record into it. Doesn't matter. Just have fun with your friends, whatever. And he was saying about the three things that we need that need that you need in life. And I forget what the second one, but one of them was to be loved forget the second one. And the third one is to be heard. And that always just, it, it stuck with me because I never felt like anyone ever listened to me. I always felt like obviously being bullied. I always felt like I was just never a person anybody cared to, to listen to or take serious in any way, shape or form. And I still feel that way to some degree. But I was like, I just had this overwhelming, just confidence that I'm like, I need to change this. And I just downloaded a free app to do the podcast. And I just, I didn't overthink anything. I just said, hey, here's the name, my blurred opinion, boom, because I had other names, but I'm like, I don't want to overthink it. And I just recorded kind of what I think the podcast was going to be about. And I just, I don't even remember if it was even good because I didn't want to listen to it because I knew if I listened to it, I would have deleted it and I would have never probably put it out. So I said, here, boom, here's episode one, I'm done. And then from there, episode two. And then at some point I was like, oh, I'm screwed because I don't, I had like 10 ideas. I want to talk about mental health. I want to talk about what it's like to have a disability. And I want to have my mom and grandma come on to tell their side of the story, the parts that I, that are fuzzy. And then I wanted to talk about my friend Lori's story, which was really kind of what triggered it. She died. She was a cancer survivor. She died of heart failure. And I wanted to tell her story because she never got to tell it. And then I realized like, okay, that's something. And then I started interviewing a few of my friends who had vision problems. And then the next phase of it was I saw that documentary Crip Camp, yeah, which really inspired me. But then I also was doing research on the disability community. And I realized how segregated we were and how lack of support we are for each other and how we all kind of go into our own corners of I'm the eye department. You're the ear department. We're the EPT department. We don't we don't really coexist. But yet we're all kind of by society, we're all pushed into this wheelchair stick figure stick figure wheelchair guy uh logo and i'm like wait a minute like that doesn't even make any sense because most of us don't in the disability community don't even we're not even in wheelchairs and not that right. that not that there's anything wrong with wheelchairs but it's like i'm not in a wheelchair what does that define me but at the same time i was like i want to do better but then i looked at my own self and i was like wait a minute you're only vi uh interviewing visually impaired people even if it's not intentional this feels a little off so then I, I remembered I had a cousin who has a son with autism. So I interviewed my cousin uh, to tell his story. And that was dipping my toe in the water. And like I said, the documentary Crip Camp came and just all these little inspirations. And then as it just progressed, I started going on 
all these websites and social media and just finding all these amazing people. And then the inspiration just kept spinning out of control in a good way. Awesome, Tim. Awesome. We're on the totem pole of help for the disabled or the disabled in the scheme of things, uh, as opposed to other diseases, say Parkinson's or cancer. Where, where, where are the disabled? I mean, yeah, it, it's hard because if you don't have like a really good spokesman, like like for Parkinson's, obviously they have Michael J. Fox. They have a legit spokesman who's super famous, well known for that condition. Cancer, obviously, is a lot of people. And I, I mean, I, I kind of put that all in the same boat. But yeah, there are some that are obviously more known and, and they get more play and, and you know, listens and, and downloads and so on. And it, it's hard because I really feel like I mean, one of the things I focus a lot on in certain episodes is just how hard it is to get a job as a person with a disability. I mean, I'm in the process of trying to find another job, but I put myself in a good place financially that I can withstand this. And, and I'm, I'm still doing all the things I can because I know something big is coming for me. And that's something I, that's changed. I would have never said that many years ago. But it's like I'm trying to change the stigma and a lot of the, what is what it is to have a disability because so many people look at me as they don't take me serious. I remember something more recently when I was I went down to this place, which weirdly enough is where I have a job interview Friday. I went down to this place and the woman looked at me and she's just like staring and she's making these weird faces and she's and I'm like, I'm like, hi. She's like, hi. She's like, what do you need? I'm like, I'm, I'm here just to try to get a job application. And she starts doing that again, looking around. And she looks at me, and I know she's looking at my eyes. It has to be. She goes, "Well, I don't think you can get a job here." And like, it didn't. It didn't hit me till later because I was just because I'm still socially awkward at times, and I'm just trying to get in a place and leave. And she's just looking at me and going, and like, pretty much just tearing me apart without saying it because she's being cordial and nice, but right. She's just like, let me know, like, well, you need degrees and you need this and you need that. And as soon as she saw the eyes, she knew I couldn't work there, which, again, the irony is now I got a job interview there. Um, but a lot of that has to change. I mean, even even my grandma, who I love, she, she there's a lot of times she just brings up like, well, if I'm talking to somebody about a job, she's like, well, you know, can he do it? Because, you know, he can't drive. And it's like it, 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 I, I feel like I'm trying to overcome so much. And one of the things I've discussed a lot with other people with disabilities is appreciating the things we have overcome, because it's like when I say I have my own place, that doesn't seem very impressive to the average person, because a lot of people have their own place. But you didn't have to go through the hurdles that I had to to achieve that. You, you know, same thing with having a job or any things I have. And, you know, it, there's so much to go. I don't know if I'm even answering your question, but it, there's so much to just... I don't, we're so far behind. Like when I was talking about the job thing, like 70 is about close to 75% of us are unemployed and yeah, it's it, a, it's abysmal. What you're doing is, which is great is you're, you're answering my next question. Okay. Which, which was, uh, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding of the public concerning SSI disability benefits for, oh, the, yeah. for the disabled. But, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted you to address uh, for us, the ability of the disabled to get employment. It's hard. Your, it's doing. really hard. It's really, again, I'm a person that does not give up. I have no other option. I've, I've just refused to. I've been through right. worse, as you now know. Right. Um, and I didn't even tell you everything, but I've been through worse. And that's also what helps me get through the night, you know, get through the night or the day every day where I'm just like, you know what? I've been comparing past traumas to current traumas. And I'm like, well, you lost your job. 
So what is that on a scale from one to 10 comparison to Steven Johnson syndrome? If, if we're comparing them, it's a, it's a zero or a one at best right. uh, because financially you're actually okay. You have a decent amount of savings. You're in better health than you were. Uh, and, and many reasons anyway. And you'll get a job eventually. And I will. You're right. And, and, and it just, I'm that determined and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to get into the mental health field and things, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's really hard because we're looked at as a liability. We're looked at as someone, you know, but they, what they don't get is like, we are very loyal and we're, we're very appreciative of someone who gives us an opportunity. Even that company that just fired me and I, you know, I had a, a conflict, a confliction of like interest because I became an advocate and they treat people like me like crap to some degree. I mean, again, it wasn't the worst place in the world to, to, to work. I'm not going to say that we weren't enslaved or anything. We, we voluntarily worked there, but the, how we were treated was really unfair at times and still is. Um, but as that company continues to crumble and fall apart, when they fire me, I realized that was the best thing that could have happened to me. But at the same time, I can also look back and go, you know what? They hired me. They gave me an opportunity and I was able to make money and I was able to put myself in a position now where I'm not poor or broke or homeless. And I'm very grateful for that. And they they played a huge part in that. And that's even through all the negative things I could say about them. I can still say that about them. And that's because I'm, I am grateful for any opportunity anyone gives me because I, sometimes I mean, I've always had to fight for everything I have, including my life. So, um, yeah, but, you know, again, going into the disability part, like, I don't know how many times I've walked into a building, the Social Security building, and I look at, I'm, I'm treated like a freeloader. I'm a person that they they just like, oh, you're just here collecting your government till, uh, good luck to you, you know, yeah, and they, they treat you very poorly. That's why they have security in there, because they know every person that wants to go in there wants to destroy the place. Because they, they, they hire people that they pay very low, so they don't care about their job. And they're able to just kind of dismiss us and treat us willy-nilly and just say, hey, this is what you are. And, you know, you just want your government money. And it's like, you know, you know I, I earn that money even if I even if I didn't want to earn it that way. Right. And I'm sorry to hear that, that it's, it's that difficult for you guys, you know, to get a job. I think there's probably some misconception out there that, Oh, all these big companies are hiring disabled people. I mean, they they kind of do spread that word out there, like, oh yeah, we hire the disabled and blah blah blah. Right. But from what you're telling me, is it's kind of like a, a facade, if you will. Some, some. I, I'm not going to say all, because there are places yeah. that really do take care of us. I'm not. I'm not going to say that. I don't. I I can't experience. I haven't experienced that much of life to know there's. I'm, right. I know there are some good companies that that do take care of us and and hire yeah. us just as people, but yeah, when, when when it never looks good when someone's saying we're hiring a specific group, it's like just hire them. You don't have to brag that you're hiring black people or your gay people or or whatever. Just hire them, right. and if they're if they're qualified for the job, great. But yeah, no, like I said, there are people that take care of us for sure. It, it's just well, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not painting everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. negative. I'm just saying. Right. Uh, you know, the general conception. Yeah. And again, uh, I don't, yeah. No. Uh, so you're living on your own now. What is that like? Tell us what that's like. It's it's something I don't even know if I've ever really kind of grasped because it's just I just do it. Obviously, I don't drive. So I, I have a lot of friends and family and things that just when I need something, they take me. If I had to, I'll take and take Uber. I could take the bus. But I've had a lot of bad experiences with with the bus company and I've, I've even been on the front page of the paper because i complained to the mayor uh I, oh, really? accidentally i didn't know the mayor was in this room it was something i was little conference thing that i was working with downtown and 
the mayor happened to be in the Zoom room and I just went off on the bus company and all of a sudden I was on the front page of the paper. But they covered it up and was just like, no, it's, it's not, you know, they kind of said, well, we're sorry this happened. It won't happen again. But it, ha- it happened to other people. So, I, it, But yeah, there's a lot of distrust and disdain I have with with that. But um, oh, yeah. But back to like, yeah, I like it. Like, it's just me and my cat. Um, you know, I I try to live a fruitful life as much as I can. I go to the gym a couple of times a week and. I try to take care of myself. Um, I could do better, I suppose. But um, I mean, my my main thing right now is brain fog. I got no idea how to get rid of it. I'm trying, but um, but yeah, but living on my own, it's cool. Like I, I, and you're you cooking, know. you're cooking for yourself, and I'm very lazy, so I, I do a lot of uh, toaster oven, microwave, DoorDash, you know, that kind of ordeal. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm trying to get better at. It's just I'm again, I have so many fights on the front line that I'm trying to fight that it's like, I, I'm picking my battles. Uh, one of the things that I, I I think that even might be a contributor to the brain fog is just my diet. I'm trying to eat better, but at the same time, it's like everything I look at causes this and causes that. And so it's, it's really hard, but yeah, like I said, as far as the living part and, you know, I bought myself a nice fancy mattress and I buy myself things and I try to take care of myself and my cat and anybody who's in my life. But you know, it's, 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 it's something like I said. I've never really grasped fully. Maybe one day I will, but I like it. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't want to live with my family or anything. I like having my own rules and doing my own thing. Yeah, um, I'm nice glad to, to hear that. Yeah, it's nice when I can just say, "Hey, I call a girl and say, you want to come over?'" Yeah, I don't have to sneak you in. It's nice, <laughs> right? Tim, what positives uh, have come out of this for you? The whole situation. Yeah, you know, even this more recent situation with the job thing. Like I, I've. I've really started to find myself with my advocacy podcast is one thing, but I'm actually starting to like who I am. I'm starting to become more comfortable with who I am because I can say these things very freely and not shed a tear. Not that that I don't want it to make it seem like I'm desensitized or hardened to the, what happened to me, maybe to some degree, a little bit, just because so much time has passed and so many other things have happened. But I am, I'm aware of all of these things and I'm very passionate about it. And my, my goal is just the two things I really want to stress is just trying to make sure, give people a place to, to speak so that they don't feel alone, especially because I, I, I being alone is the worst feeling in the world. And that's why I, I, I one thing I didn't talk about is my suicide attempt where I, I tried to end my life because I, I was in a place where I hated my life. I hated who I was. I hated, I didn't have any friends. My best friend had died. Uh, the woman I talked about earlier, Lori, she had died and, and I was left with nothing. And my mom was kind of going in her own direction with her new boyfriend and not to blame her, but I was left kind of alone at a really bad time. And um, I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And I also just, I want to just try to help as many people as I can. And, and, and while I'm helping people, it helps me to grow. It helps me to feel good about myself because I know I'm doing the right thing. I try to show every bit of emotion that I express and, and or that I, I contain. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's just been, especially these last two months, like I said, it's weirdly, it's weird. Like getting fired opened up my eyes and, and because it, it felt like something like I wouldn't do it. I kept making excuses why I wouldn't quit. And then I got fired for something very mundane where I could have gotten fired for many other things I said when I was really pushing the envelope, when I would fight, I got fired for something that really wasn't deserving. But then I just said, great, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. And I don't even know why I said it. It just came out of my mouth. And then as all this has been unfolding these last two months, 
I've just been feeling so much better about myself. I've been more willing to just really put myself out there on social media, like TikTok spe- spe- uh, specifically, because I've just joined it two months ago. And every day I do like a little update of how I'm feeling, like a little mental health blog. And then I've just been talking about every issue that bugs me and, and just, you know, I've been just putting myself out there and learning. And then through that, I'm learning about myself and I'm feeling confident and accepting myself more. And, you know, I'm just, I'm finding all these little techniques to just better myself by like using my, my dry eraser whiteboard where I now, so to feel good about doing things, because instead of procrastinating, I will write down, do dishes, you know, do podcasts with you. And I just write little things. And then once I do it, I write a check mark next to it and then just dry erase it, get rid of it. Boom. And I, I, I finished all these little things around the house that I never wanted to do. But by doing that, I'm being more persistent because the one thing I learned about the podcast that I didn't think I really was, I didn't consider because there's a lot of things that come from, sometimes there's a bigger picture and you don't see a lot of the other little side ventures. Uh, One of the things I was doing with my podcast was I was being consistent. Three and a half years, I put out an episode a day, every day for three and a half years. Which Which is very hard. Very hard. It is. And, you know, and, and majority of them are with guests. So you have to constantly have this influx of guests. And um, I continue to do it. And then I was like, well, if I could just, you know, attribute or contribute that and push that to the same, like in, in every direction of my life and say, if you can just do that with exercise, just work out every day. You may not see results every day, but if you can just continually be disciplined and and, and constant with everything you're doing, you're going to be okay. Yeah. So do that with your working out. And then I'm doing that with the, the dry eraser board and, and I even wrote down goals that I want to like real major goals I want to achieve on the other side of the board. And, and I'm just kind of just pushing myself in this direction. And like I said, another thing I came out of it was just finding uh, or comparing current traumas or current problems to former problems, even in a, I'm com- comparing them in different ways to where it kind of minimizes and mitigates the current issues I have now, where it's like, okay, if you compare this to this, well, that's not so bad. Okay, let's compare this. So it's a much similar issue. Maybe when you were moving away and you had to find a place, a job, and you had to move three and a half hours away, compare that to when you were just trying to find a job. Well, if that is a 10, this could be no more than a four or five. So stop stressing. And so it, it kicks my anxiety down. It helps with the depression. Um, just keeps me in better mood. So it's just, there's just like I said, other than this stupid brain fog I'm dealing with that really bugs me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, all that it's come from this, I wouldn't take any of it back. I mean, obviously, maybe the molestation and some of that shit. But the reality is the stuff I would, as far as the vision, I never ask for my vision back. Other than I would like to just keep it where it is or I would like to better it a little bit. You know, that's what I'm trying to get this procedure. But overall, like, I'm just ha- I'm enjoying the journey of where I'm going because I, well, I don't I don't know where it is. I don't know where I'm going. Sounds like uh, you're on the right path for sure. And I want to I want to so. uh, kind of wrap it up pretty soon. Sure. But- I do want you to uh, tell us the name of your podcast and where it can be heard, because I want to give you a plug here. Sure. So it's called My Blurred Opinion. A lot of people, every time people repeat it, they always say My Blurred Vision. And I just jokingly say I have that too. But yes, My Blurred Opinion, um, it's on all platforms. One of the things I was going to tell you last night, uh, because you mentioned Google, it is on Google, but Google Podcasts is going away. Um, but it's, it's, it's on Spotify. It's on Apple. Those are the two major ones, but it's on iHeartRadio and, and, and all the uh, Amazon and all that. But, um, there's a lot of these like little other smaller platforms. I mean, I wouldn't call Google a small platform, but a lot of these podcast platforms are going away. So now we're starting to just kind of get them down to like the big ones, which is majorly major Apple and, uh, 
and uh, Spotify, the big two. But you can find it anywhere you have podcasts. Okay. And for those going through uh, a life of disability or any other struggle for that matter, uh, please give us your thoughts on how to get through it and come out on top. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have all the answers and my disability is different from everyone else's and, you know, but you, one of the things that I stress a lot about is like tapping into your superpower. One, one of the superpowers I, I figured that I have is though my, my physical vision is poor. I have almost like a third eye because I'm not biased towards things. Like if I'm going to vote for somebody, I'm going to vote for somebody I believe in. I'm not going to vote just because someone told me to vote or because someone says it's the right thing or because I think the other side is worse off or, you know, all these little things that people come up with that make no sense. Um, I'm, I'm able to to spot things that are very obvious to that should be obvious to the average person, but aren't. And people I'm not blinded, pun intended or not pun intended. Um, I'm not blinded by anything. I'm not really biased. I just kind of I like what I like. And, but I try to see things down the middle. I try to be very fair. And that's just kind of a superpower that I, and I have a lot of empathy and a care for others. And so you got to kind of figure out what you got to turn what you have into something positive, no matter how bad it seems. And I know people have really excruciating chronic pain and people that are missing all their limbs and they're paralyzed from the waist down. There's something special about you, no matter how much like everyone or life or perception, all these things that are pointing in the opposite direction, you have to figure out what's what's special about you and, and turn it into something great because, you know, there's not going to be many people that's going to just come by and slap you on the shoulder and say, hey, man, you got this. You know, I love you. I got your back. There's not many people that are going to be really nice to you, unfortunately. There are people out here, but you have to do the work and you have to find people, but you have to know, one, your worth, but you have to know, you have to like tap into your inner strength. You have to realize like how resilient you are. Because I, I don't like, I don't understand how I keep getting up. I really don't. And I don't understand how a lot of us keep getting up. I, I don't, I don't get it, but it, it's beautiful. I really, and not to be corny or anything, but it's something that just inspires me every day. And I, I mean, I even inspire my own self sometimes. And even though that kind of sounds gross in my own mind or in my own mouth, just saying no, it, it's no. true. Like I, sometimes I'm just like, I get hit with something and I just smile and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't, how am I still doing this? But I do it. And then it just, I become stronger and stronger. And I really wouldn't, even when I said the molestation thing, I wouldn't take any of this back really, because it's, it's what, it's what it is because I do have a love for people, the right people. And um, yeah, so I I don't, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but you really have to tap into you and and really kind of break yourself down to the smallest molecule and just go like, you have to be raw and, and metaphorically naked and just say, Hey, like, what is it that I'm complicit in? Because you do play a part in it. We all play a part in our own problems, regardless if, if most of our lives, like most of my life, it wasn't my fault. But I do play a part in feeling sorry for myself and sitting around and pouting and, you know, wanting to take my own life. Even if I've had legit reasons, if I take my own life, then I don't I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. All the dreams and fantasies I have, they'll never come true. Um, so, you know, just you got to fight and you have to find something to fight for. And when you find that, no matter how small or how big, sometimes it's not about, um, you know, fighting for a loved one or whatever, because you might not have that. You might be really legitimately lonely. But if, if there's there's a movie coming out next year and you want to be alive and it's coming out in six months, at six months, you want to be alive. And anything can happen within six months. And it's keeping you, you're, you're holding on to something, 
whatever whatever it is you're holding on and i've been i've been that low where i've held on to the smallest things so um you just you have to push yourself no matter how dark it gets no matter how sad it gets you just you have to keep going and keep the fight going there's yeah like i said it's hard but i'm still here and the fact that i could smile is even a miracle so you know and it's not yeah. fake i don't smile for no reason tim that was genuinely very well said uh, thank you buddy you couldn't make it any any plainer or more genuine than that tim how can people contact you if they want to contact you uh so you can find me on tiktok or instagram at my blurred opinion um you can look me up at TJ, timothy j west on on facebook uh i'm pretty easy to get a hold of you get a hold of me like i'm hell you might get my number like I, i'm very open about i've reached out to a lot of people who are just going through all kind of traumatic problems and addiction and things and i'm like hey you need a friend i'm around so um but yeah just find me on those platforms reach out just dm me and say hello and i'll say hi back okay so you're on instagram you're on tiktok under yep. under what under my what? blurred opinion like the podcast oh my blurred opinion and okay. then and then facebook is timothy j west and then if you can't find me because that is hard to find just type in you know where you go to the cities just type in williamsport i'm the first one that comes up Got a microphone right in front of me okay yep. it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure and honor to meet you and, and to talk Same to you everybody. uh your story inspires all of us and i wish you all the best success going forward and good health health going forward same team, know, my friend. I know you're never going to give up or give any yeah. of your disability. I know you are making a difference uh, for the better in the lives you touch. And you're always welcome to come back and, and talk to us on the podcast. And anything the podcast can do to help you, uh, just reach out. Same uh, here. I, I'd like to consider us friends now. So a, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Comments and suggestions out there uh, for the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com, our Facebook group is it's a wrap with rap our instagram is it's a wrap with rap podcast we have our website uh it's a wrap with rap.com we're on twitter or as it's known now as x and that's at rapper w-r-a-p-p-e-r 130 and all the episodes are on youtube our youtube channel it's a wrap with rap the podcast uncut i want to thank everyone for listening please stay safe and for now it's a wrap.